Hello friends, welcome back to the podcast with me, Jonathan Puddle. This is episode 89. I'm excited to share a uh, more like life story and different kind of angled episode this week. I, during the summer, was deciding who I wanted to have on the show in the next season, and I wanted to connect with a few people in the city. So you may have listened to episode 84, where we talked about interracial marriage and raising mixed-race kids with my friends Mark and Trifina Gagnon. They are the pastors of Lakeside Church, as we discussed. Well, my guests today attend Lakeside Church. Cam Guthrie is the mayor of Guelph, where we live, and his wife Rachel is with us as well. And so I really wanted to hear about life and marriage and municipal politics and COVID and how you know they make all that work. And so if you listen to the show and you're like, I'm not in ministry, I just turn up and do a job, then uh, this this episode may be a bit more relevant for you. They do serve in, in church roles, but their main focuses are in industry and infrastructure and serving the city. And they have some really great things to say, especially regarding how the church can step up and help with some crises facing our nation. So excited to introduce to you Rachel and Cam Guthrie. This is so fun. I'm so glad to have you both here because as I just mentioned earlier, uh, I get, I mean, I get so many books. I get my house is inundated. If I turn my laptop around, you'd see my office is inundated with books that, that the publishers and the PR companies send me to consider for interview. And so most of my week is just spent in triage and deciding, is this actually somebody I'm interested in talking to? And I, you know, should should speak up that I'm very blessed and honored to have conversations with wonderful people. But as the summer was wrapping up and I was deciding what to do with, with the podcast in the next season, I thought, right now I'm just tired and I want to sit down with a few people that I'm interested to talk to and hear about their lives and hear about their stories. And, and you two were one of the first couples that came to my mind. So uh, I'm, I'm so thrilled to welcome uh, his, his worship, the mayor. What's your, I, what's your title, Cam? I love the fact that when you said my title, my wife immediately just laughed. Giggled, right? <laughs> but everyone needs to know that that Rachel's Instagram is First Lady of Guelph. So that's true. <laughs> Actually, I remember. Uh, I remember almost six years ago when I became the mayor, and then like at the election, and I, I won the election. Someone's like, "Oh, now we have to call you your worship," and I remember Rachel uh, whispering to me. Just so you know, I will never call you that. <laughs> Has it ever happened? No. Has it ever slipped no. out, Rachel? No, no. never. Never. <laughs> More like he has to call me his worship, you know. Yeah, that's right. Her <laughs> worship. That's right. <laughs> well, that's true. And, and, and since you're also both involved in worship music, there that's seems right. to be like a whole... In my tradition, I would say there's a real prophetic significance there. there yes, go. there you go. That's a good alignment. I never thought of that before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'd love to hear a little bit about uh, kind of each of your own stories, where you grew up, how you guys met, and we can start coming all the way up to, to life today. But roll, roll the clock back and introduce yourselves a bit for us. Well, want right. me to go first or you? Sure. Or I kind of, it's up to you. I think ladies first. Go ladies for it. first. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I was born in Guelph. And uh, in the late 70s, 
you know, now everyone knows how old I am, but that's okay. Um, and uh, she could have still- set up to nineties. I don't know if it's just the filter she's using on yeah. Zoom, but I tell you, there's like a she's in that twenty year spread where any age would have been believed. It, it's yes, true. It's true. Yes. Yes. Um. <laughs> people, people monthly when we're together stop and they're like, "Oh, is this your daughter?" I'm like, "Oh boy." <laughs> or my Adelaide sister, but you know. our daughter is Adelaide, and they're like, yes. "Oh, is this your older sister?" <laughs> yes, I, I digress. Um, but yeah, so I was born in Guelph, uh, and when I was about four years old, I um, our family decided to move out to the country. My dad grew up on a farm out there near the town of Erin, and uh, so we built a home. My dad built a log home, and so we moved out there. And when I was about five, I had a pretty significant uh, head injury um, that uh, basically, I think, changed kind of the trajectory of our family. And I ended up in sick kids in Toronto. Doctors told my parents I slipped into a coma and they said, well, if she wakes up, she'll be a vegetable in a wheelchair for the rest of her life. That's what they said to my parents. Uh, Clearly, that did not happen. Um, And God clearly had a different plan for for my life, which uh, I'm grateful for. Um, So we grew up in the country. Um, We started attending Lakeside Church when I was in about grade four, grade four, grade five. And uh, I'll be honest, I did notice, you know, this good looking guy across the hallway. Grade four or five. Yeah, he was older than me. So it was, you know, so out of, you know, the, the realm of possibility at that time um for your listeners that can't see the screen she was pointing at me (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so we ended up in kind of youth group together and uh you know when I was about 18 he kind of took notice and said hey do you want to go to a wedding and I said well sure I'll go with you if you know you'll go to a wedding with me that I had to go to two months later to which he said well do you think we should date in between now and then and uh we said, sure. Okay. And that kind of just, you know, started our relationship, but, um, yeah. Yeah. And then we got married two years later and, uh, here we are 21 years later and two kids and a whole lot of life that has been, that has been lived in those last 21 years. Yep. But yeah, both my, both my parents were heavily involved in the church between, uh, you know, serving in Sunday school, um, involved with ministries helping kind of those less privileged than ourselves and in the leadership and even um, any of the expansions that Lakeside had. My dad was super involved with that. So we've been involved in worship. I've been involved since I was 12 years old. Mm. Um, So it's been a, a a thing that's been important to us to, uh, to serve and uh, model that for our kids. And they both now are doing that as well. So that's kind of our, nutshell i guess for me i don't know you might be more interesting than me i will never correct my wife on any of those stories everything she said is is correct (laughs) (laughs) i basically i I was the drummer at at church still am the drummer one of the drummers at at church for worship and uh yeah pretty much she was a singer so i liked what i saw this angel in front of me with the angelic voice and then got the courage to ask her out that's wonderful. I, I also like how Rachel was like, your story is going to be more interesting than mine after she had already said how like she had been told she'd be a vegetable of this terrible brain injury. And clearly like, 
Yes. And then Cam yes. told us for little to nothing. So. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I. I was born, and here I am. There is my story. <laughs> well, I love that you both grew up in Guelph, and and that you met each other so young. That is really fun. I have lived all over the world, and barely have been in one place for long. We just became foster parents Thursday. We we don't have a placement yet, but we just got licensed. And, oh, cool. And we had to fill out a pay, all the addresses we'd ever lived in since birth. Yeah. And I had yeah. over 25, and it was it was like, oh, that's why I need therapy. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Wow. 25. But I met, I remember meeting my wife or seeing my wife at church when I was 13 and she was 17 and she did not remember me or notice me, but I noticed her. (laughs) Nice. I can, I can identify with some of that journey. Yeah. And I love Guelph. We moved to Guelph four years ago. Thank you for making this a wonderful place. Thank you for growing up here and doing all that each of you are doing for this beautiful city. We love it. I've never felt more home than I feel now. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's a, it's a team effort for sure. I always say that and I, I sincerely mean it. It's, uh, yes, I'm the mayor, but it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's council, it's city staff, it's uh, definitely the citizens and the, the businesses, like all pulling together. We have some pretty good DNA in this town for making things uh, go along really well. So yeah, we're, we're, we're very fortunate. Guelph's a great place. Yeah, like you mentioned DNA, people ask me what's Guelph like? And I say, well, you have to understand Guelph, <laughs> first of all, is situated nearby this other big regional conglomerate of cities called yep. Kitchener, Waterloo, but we are not them. And so that's yes. the first thing to know about Guelph. The yes. thing to know about Guelph is that it's inhabited both by original hippies and new <laughs> hipsters. So, uh, it's got a great university. It's got yeah. one of two veterinary programs in the country. Yes. It's surrounded by farmland. Guelph is surely one of the only places in Canada where you are as likely to see someone driving a jacked up pickup truck as you are likely to see them driving a modified bicycle turned into an electric scooter. You have uh, described so right. that very well. And in fact, today I saw uh, a, a picture of someone portaging their canoe right down the main street uh, in front of city hall. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> oh, and it's just got, I, I just love the, the downtown culture and the vibe and it's just got yeah. such, I mean, what, what, what other city has a splash pad in the summer slash skating rink in the winter mm. right smack in front of city hall? Yeah, that was, uh, that was before my time, but definitely credit needs to be given where credit is due. That's, uh, a major uh, community asset. Um, the original uh, plans for that was, I think, parking. It was going to be parking. So definitely the right decision was made uh, those many years ago to make that uh, that's so beautiful and welcoming in both the summer and the winter, as you described it. So how how did you get into the mayoralty? What, what was your career background, Cam? What interested you? How did that walk us through that journey? Uh, so I went to, uh, you know, obviously high school and then coming out of high school, I went to a two year, uh, sporting goods business course in Peterborough, Ontario at Sir Sanford Fleming college. 
loved it. Absolutely adored that course. Um, I would still recommend it today to people. Uh, very high kind of job placement uh, rate for that course. Not a lot of people take it. So it's a kind of good ratio, kind of professors to teachers to uh, students. I, I adored it. And right out of uh, college, I kind of started my own little business of like representing different uh, sports products like Gatorade or High Sierra backpacks um, and luggage and BM, a lot of BMX and uh, skateboarding kind of apparel and I think there was some more stuff I can't quite remember, but just sporting good stuff. Did that for maybe a year and a bit. And then all of a sudden an opportunity came up to get into insurance. My grandfather had his own brokerage in town. It was sold to another brokerage. And then uh, that brokerage was basically looking for an entry level person to sort of, you know, push paper, if I could call it that way. And uh, so I decided to give it a go. And so then I never looked back. Uh, I, I stayed in insurance for 16 years and uh, I got licensed as an insurance broker and I did mostly like home and auto and, you know, cottage and boat and motorcycle, all that kind of stuff. But the last maybe two years or so, I'm more specialized in a lot of the marketing and sales for like investment properties, like student rentals and, and businesses and things like that. And, uh, and then that's when uh, I decided to get into uh, politics. I actually ran as a city councillor uh, in 2006. Six, thank you. And I lost that election. Uh, and I actually really like um, telling people that because I think a lot of people look at like, oh, you're the mayor and they think like there's no, there's been no, you know, negative things ever like or something or or you the just progression or journey yeah like it was just easy you're just the mayor because you should have always been the mayor or something like and it's just that's not true so yeah in 2006 i ran for council for the first time uh, i lost that election not by much but i lost it and then of course the next election is four years later so i i really stayed like close to the community i uh, you know got got to really watch i i was a council watcher i guess you could say from from a distance uh, and then I ran for city council again in 2010. I won the election. And then over that four years as being a councillor, and that's considered a part-time job here in Guelph, by the way. Uh, I could talk to you for an hour whether or not it really is a part-time job, uh, <laughs> but uh, it's considered a part-time job. And there have been billboards I've found all over the city recently asking the question whether Guelph should have uh, full-time or part-time counselors. That's right. I've That's seen right. that uh, survey going. Yeah, in. we're going through sort of a review of that right now. Uh, so then, in 2014, just uh, lots of lots of you know uh, support from Rachel and the kids, my, my family, and then lots of support from people that I didn't even know. And I mean, we would come home often. At that time, we still had uh, you know answering machines on our phones. We still had home phones, uh, and there'd be there'd be multiple messages left from people we didn't know saying you know, you got to run for mayor, you got to run for mayor. And so I decided to give it a go. And I, I won as mayor in 2014, ran for re-election in, in October of 2018. And I won as re-election. So this is my second term as mayor. So I'm about halfway through my second term right now. That's so exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does Guelph have term limits for mayors? No, there are no term limits at all. 
um, that's an American sort of thing. I guess you could try to do that or implement that here, but a lot of what's done in Ontario is uh, governed by the provincial government under what's called the Municipal Act. Uh, so uh, you could try to do your own bylaw locally, but it would probably be difficult. So yeah, in Canada, you can just run as long as you want. Uh, well, let me re rephrase that. As long as the voters want you, that's how long you can <laughs> run for. <laughs> yes. So Rachel, what uh, catch us up what, what those years were then for, for you? Um, well, like you're talking like just more like around like election stuff and running oh, for council. Oh, all of it. Or, your 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 early career. You have sure. Kids, yeah. How you, um, how you interfaced well, all of it? Heating. Yeah, like when we got married, I yeah. was uh, kind of the I always called myself the third wheel, but I was uh, like a, a office assistant slash shipper receiver for a heating company. Yep. Um I was the only time I think I was that strong in my whole life. Um, but uh, I, so I did that for a few years. And then I also at the same time was teaching voice lessons. So I would work yeah. full time and then I would come home at night and teach full time. So it was wow. busy, very, very busy. Um, and then it got so busy that I said, okay, I can't work full time and yeah. teach full time. So I went to half time working. And that worked for a little while, but they really needed someone who was there full time. And I, I understood that. So I found a part time job and worked at Centennial CDI as a gen, as a receptionist high school. high school. So it was a high school for about I was there for um, almost a year, actually. And then it was a contract. So that ended. And then I went um, to another high school in Guelph, GCDI. And when I started that job, I actually was pregnant with our son, Anakin. And um, so I was like, okay, if I just take a contract job, that's, that's good because I'm, I'm having a baby. Um, so we had Anakin. I stayed home with him for about a year. And then I went back to work again. Uh, this time it was at the school board for the Upper Grand District School Board. And uh, from there, I ended up landing a job in student transportation. Uh, so I, I have been in student transportation since 2007 and it has, I was about to say yeah. 10 years, it's been 13. No, it's been 13 years. Oh, wow. huh. So, um, it's, I've done various roles, uh, in the office, but uh, the one that I've been in the most is dealing with special needs kids. Hmm. So I arrange all the student transportation for about 11 or 1200 kids who have special needs within the Wellington Dufferin area. Um, so I've done that for, um, yeah, for 13 years, yeah. which is crazy. So, and it's very interesting times right now yeah. with COVID and anything to do with school, but yeah. her job for arranging all that transportation for all the different students and every mm -hmm. student has a different need. It's not yeah. like a regular school bus, right? So it's, yeah. it's very challenging. She's yeah. a, she's a rock star. She's been doing good. <laughs> Yeah. So with that, with working full time and the kids are in school, um, when Cam ran the first time in 2006, I had just started working at the board at that time before I got into transportation. And when he didn't win, it was kind of a, a bit of a, you know, okay, do I stay working? Do I stay home? Our kids were really little, but at the time we're like, well, you know what? Just like everybody, we have to make ends meet, so I will continue working. When he won in 2010, it it changed our, you know, kind of how we did stuff, right? It was dad was out more nights of the week, so I was doing a lot more of the, you know, yeah. running kids to, you know, 
football, events. dance, whatever mm. events or kind of activity they were in. And uh, it, it was a lot, right? It was a lot to try and juggle that with an insurance and counsel. And then I'm working full time and dealing with the kids. So yeah. I, our kids are just incredible individuals. They have, they've known nothing they've, different. They've known nothing different, really? but they've gone yeah. every step of the way. Just very supportive, very supportive. Mm -hmm. Yep. We're in this, we support you. Um, and that was too, a little bit of the reason to of considering running for mayor because then it's one job. Yeah. It's a yeah. big job, but it's one job. Yeah. It's one focus is what yeah. how I've been saying it. You're right, Rach. It's, yeah. um, when I was an insurance broker and a counselor, it was just, it was, it was, it was, it was very difficult. Yeah. Right. The logistical overhead of two part-time jobs is not, it doesn't equal one full-time job. Like, no, it's, it's at least two 80% jobs, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a lot. Um, and even like the mayor's role right now is, is, is unbelievable. And I don't say that like I'm a victim. I, mm -hmm. I say that, um, with just being direct, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's more than a full-time job. It, 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 you're never off ever. Uh, and I love it. So it's, but it's one focus. So yes, it's really crazy busy. Yes, it's more, it's really more, it's like three full-time jobs if you want to really add it together, mm -hmm. but it's one focus and that makes it a lot easier, really. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it's been a, it's been a bit of a, a change, you know, over the past couple of years, they've changed the structure of how they've done their meetings. So he's actually been home a little bit yeah. more, which has been good, but definitely, uh, you know, our kids in elementary school didn't, you know, Nothing really, no one really bothered them about their dad being the mayor, whatever. But, uh, you know, definitely some challenges in high school. But like I say, they're super, they've been super resilient about stuff. So it's been, it's been pretty awesome, actually. We've been pretty blessed that way. That's so good. Mm -hmm. Walk us through an average week in terms of Cam's daily work and then how you find time for one another and how you work that together? Well, there's pre-COVID answer. Let's start pre-COVID okay. so we can get a baseline. And then <laughs> if you remember back well, that far. So yeah, I would say first term as mayor, it was still very much a learning curve in regards to that work-life balance. And I would say into my second term, I think I put in more boundaries a little bit around the life part, the family part uh, on purpose. And that was a lot better. And so it, it's, again, it's, it's crazy busy. A lot of evening meetings uh, during the day, it's, you know, it's eight until five o'clock and then, uh, and then an hour break. And then, you know, meetings from six o'clock till whenever, sometimes eight o'clock at night, sometimes 10 o'clock at night. Uh, sometimes there's been one o'clock in the morning ending meetings. Yeah. Very rare, very rare, but th they can go forever. <laughs> but, but it's, um, I, I think, you know, I think I said sort of yes to everything in my first term. And I think I wanted to sort of, I wanted to prove that people made the right decision. I wanted to be out there and meet to every group. Um, I wanted to be at every single event I could. Uh, I remember, I think for two or three years in a row, I did 265 events a year. 
Wow. On top of on top of this, the regular work, and so this the second term though I I've been a little bit more uh, again boundaries uh, and what we would do is we we'd always try to make sure that we could go to like any of the gala dinners or the fundraising dinners or even the ribbon cuttings if they were on weekends or whatever it we we try to make it a family affair. Uh, the barbecues, the whatever, the, whatever they are, we would always try to go together. And that made it a lot better uh, from a work-life balance that it wasn't just me heading out all the time. So that's been really good. Mm-hmm. COVID is a different, COVID world is a different answer. <laughs> I want to hear more about COVID. At first, I just, I just want to ask, and maybe Rachel even will comment on this. I feel like that role would be a disaster for my personality type. Like I would feel constantly letting everybody down, the desire to be at everything, like you were saying, all the events to, to get known, all that kind of stuff. Do you think it requires like a certain kind of personality type? Yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah, I, do. I think you have to be a people, you have to be a people person. I mean, you're representing people. <laughs> so, um... But surely then it's, it's a people person who can handle being also like attacked. Yeah. I'm a people person. That's been, that's been, I don't like. Yeah, that's been interesting. <laughs> yeah, I think that's interesting on how I handle it, and it's also interesting how she handles the attacks too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's been, and and the attacks become different sometimes. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, what it, it's always this. It's the same. It's the same. Like ten people that just nip at your heels all the time. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter what you do and. I think what I think I think what a lot of people like about Rachel and I and the kids is that we're we're known. I don't mean that as like a look at us thing. I mean we're just known. Like we're we're just a regular family. We're just trying to like we're trying to we're taking our kids to soccer practice and football practice, and we're trying to we're trying to pay the bills too. And you know we're trying to give back to the community. And oh yeah, and I'm the mayor. Like you know, and then so it's uh, we're we are we are relatable to I think people and I think people give us a little bit of grace because of of that that it's not like we're not approachable not known and up in some ivory tower like oh look at me I'm the mayor and you can't you know you can't engage with us we're not like that at all so that helps I think uh, with the type of personality maybe and I it's not a me thing it's an our thing it's it's how both of us are Mm. yeah I can even just the way you're sitting and talking you do present like a like a a unified front. Yeah. I find couples' body language is always just fascinating, and, <laughs> and I'm giving you guys the Jonathan Puddle thumbs up of approval. All right. <laughs> but when the when the attacks come, it's easier with with her being so close that I just push her in front of me and. Uh, she, well, she yeah. takes- <laughs> you mentioned attacks, and I watched Rachel's face screw up in terms of how you maybe differently deal with things. Is there anything Rachel wants to add? Well, I think uh, I... Um, that's the problem she always wants that, to add. That's a, you know, and I, I, I try to, to be respectful and, and careful because it's kind of rules of engagement, right? Like, how do you engage with someone? And I think more because everybody is watching what you say and is, you know, critic of what you say, you know, it's like, is it really, is it a hill I want to die on? I guess maybe is the best way of answering it. Um, and there's lots of times I want to just, you know, kind of like be a keyboard warrior and get out there and rah, 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 rah. But then I'm like, or I'll say to him, what about this? He's like, no. 
I'm like, Tr trust oh. me, she probably has about 10 different draft responses to a day, at least 10 a day. So uh, she, uh, she knows how to sort of unload through drafts, but she doesn't post it. <laughs> but I appreciate the effort that she, yeah. she has to have my back. Mm -hmm. uh, she, she sees what I'm trying to do a lot better than everybody else. And so, yeah. Yeah, so we, I sometimes have to tell myself not to read stuff. It's like, okay, don't look at that yeah, blog post or don't follow this person yeah. on social media because it just gets under your skin and just sets your day to just be kind of like, oh, why did I read that? Um, but uh, so, and that's been a learning curve for me of just don't, you know, don't, you yeah. don't need to look at it. Not because you're ignoring it, but it's kind of like sometimes best things just left out of your mind, right? Yeah. So, well, I can, yeah. I can appreciate that in terms of the pastoral ministry and as an author, yes. podcaster, it's like, yeah, yeah. Those, those 10 people who are a thorn in your side, I can name all of their names in my church. I mean, I didn't know that didn't come out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Uh, uh, one, our, our old pastor said something that's always stuck with me. I think every pastor probably says it is, you know how every, every, well, not every church, but most churches have like the white welcome card where you can put the comments on the cards, you know, and you could, the pastor could literally get like 200 cards, like a great sermon, great. You spoke right to my heart. You've changed my life. And then there'll be one, yeah. there'll be one card that will say something negative, And that's the one you remember. That's the one. And it's, it's similar in any leadership, right? It's not just mayoral. It's not uh, just pastoral. It's, it's any leadership position where you're under that scrutiny. There's, uh, and then of course, with the ease, the new white welcome card is now called social media. Uh, so with the ease of social media, it's just that much easier to have that negative stuff uh, shoved in your face all the time. And I don't have to be Jonathan Puddle. I can be hacker 359 and say whatever the heck I like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. We'll take a quick break to thank my Patreon supporters. Thank you so much to everybody who supports this show on Patreon. I have 52 people currently giving between $3 and $50 a month. You can become a patron and support the show by going to jonathanpuddle.com slash Patreon or go to patreon.com slash Jonathan Puddle. Either one of those links will take you to the same place. And you can uh, help out, you can chip in, you can give monthly, you can sign up for a year subscription, whatever works for you. And that is a, a huge help to me. It keeps this show going and it uh, helps me to write and do the other things that I do here. Speaking of which, some of you will have heard my brand new devotional is out. You are enough learning to love yourself the way God loves you. You can buy it from jonathanpuddle.com or Amazon or wherever else you find your books. I would love you to go and have a read of that book. If you want to download a sample, you can find a sample at jonathanpuddle.com. Thank you once again to everybody who shares the show, who's posted a review, who follows me on social media. Your support and encouragement means so much to me. Thank you. Back to the show. So uh, let's bring it up into COVID then, because obviously it's been already a long haul. Like if, mm -hmm. if we measure from February or March or, you know, I'm sure you guys were looking at things earlier than 
than kind of the general public were. But mm-hmm. yeah, what, go wherever you like with that workload. What, what's the, the stress, the, the carrying, the, the care for the people? Yeah, um, you know, I would have to say that, I, you know, you just mentioned, oh, maybe you were following it a bit more than the general public. I think that's kind of what you said or whatever. That, that wouldn't be sort of accurate. It was sort of like you start seeing it in the, maybe the media, you know, hearing, oh, the premier is talking or the prime minister is talking about something. And, and then you start kind of looking at each other's staff um, and then myself are kind of like, should we be, should we be worried about something here? And of course we have a, we have a, a system in, in Ontario called public health unit. So we rely fully on, on, on the public health uh, unit advices and, and guidelines. And so then it really sort of hit. And of course, as we all remember, it was like, probably it was only going to be a couple of weeks. Remember it was supposed to be, a couple, here we are six months later, it was supposed to be a couple of weeks. So we all just, we just kind of, it was really from a city perspective, you are going by the guidance of the province or the federal government. And uh, uh, I am, I am the spokesperson for the city, but really I am being the spokesperson for the directions from public health mm-hmm. and uh, from the province. And so uh, it, uh, it just became an hour, like hourly and daily changes. And sometimes we would think we were going one way and all of a sudden another and so through that sort of phase one and phase two of shutdown and, and, and then coming out of it with things being reopened, um, it's been just an absolute roller coaster ride. And then now, as I'm speaking to you today on what's the date, September 29th? 29th yeah. yeah, I'm pretty concerned, actually. Uh, it, it, I, again, this roller coaster ride, right? So now I'm now I'm in this position of of. Guelph has been literally so good at coming together. Uh you know, we were, I think we were the first city in Canada to do the masks. Right. Um, yeah, I think so. And I would say that just how we pulled together, how we adopted the guidelines for public health has just really done an amazing job of keeping our community safe. But now that with these new numbers, I'm, I'm getting pretty concerned. And as the mayor, I have a responsibility for the health and safety of every individual. Uh, and I declared an actual emergency in the city. Uh, uh, and that's the only thing that is the only power that a mayor has is to declare an emergency. Everything else has to go through council. And so um, I think there's over 215 or 220 or so cities that have declared emergencies. And here I was a month ago, Rachel, saying mm-hmm. to you, I yeah. think I'm going to, I think I'm not going to have the, the, the declared emergency anymore. I think I'm going to pull it back. And then today, as I talk to you, it's like, wow, there's no way I'm pulling that back right now. Right. As a province, we've got more cases than we now had daily at the beginning of the outbreak. Obviously, testing is not the same. So it's not mm-hmm. strictly apples to apples. But nonetheless, like, this is not what anybody wanted to see. And just like every other household, Rachel's been like, you know, if you have two people working in the household, if that's your household, um, you, you know, she, her work got shut down. So she had to work from home. So we went out and bought two desks. Like we didn't even have desks in our house. So we went and bought two desks and I was at one and she was at another. And I, I was working 75% from home, 25% down at city hall. She's been working a hundred percent. She's just started to go back to work now. Uh, so that, that's, that, that's a normal story in a lot of households, yeah. right? So uh, it's, 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 yeah, it's a very interesting time we're in, that's for sure. It's very concerning, mm-hmm. 
there's also been some neat stories that have come out of this too, um, about how the community pulls together and supports everybody. But, but it is, uh, it's a different stress. Didn't, didn't, didn't know I'd be signing up for this in my second term as mayor. <laughs> That's for sure. Is there an impact on your, your health and wellness, your mental health, your coping levels? I think uh, it's hard not to get bogged down by the media because it's, there's just, it's everywhere. Like you can't look anywhere and it's like gloom and doom almost a little bit. Um, But one thing that we have said was a huge silver lining in all of this, um, just maybe for us is more time together, actually. Um, You know, be it that, you know, the meetings are from home. I'm working from home. He's working from home. You can have lunch together. You can, you know, walk the dog together. We can go out together. And because we're not getting together with anyone, it's just the two of us. Um, and that has been, we said, we joke that we've gone on more dates in the last six months than we have in the last like 15 years, it's kind true. Of thing, <laughs> wow. you know, but it's been, no, you, you, you're saying it absolutely right. And that yeah. for us has been huge. It's like, Oh, like all the time that you give, to other people in serving and whatever it is, it's like we've been given that gift and gotten that back. And that's been, that's been huge. And that's been a huge impact on yes, your well-being and your mental health, because we've been together. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for us, that's been, that's been good. Um, You know, the other part that you worry about is if things shut down, what does that mean for your job? What does that mean for your kids? You know, the kids not going to school, that, by the time June rolled around, they were like, oh, you know, but then they ended up getting summer jobs and worked every day. And that was a game changer. So, you know, it's been great for us. And, uh, you know, by June challenging for the kids, but they, they bounced back in the summer, which was also a, a plus side, I think of it too. So it's got, it's got both, but I would say it's more positive than not for us personally, anyways, in time together. Yeah. She would be, she'd be right. I don't think we've eaten out so much in the last six months or gone for walks or whatever. And yeah, it's been, that's been sort of nice, but I I haven't slept in six months. I I haven't. Yeah, that's true. It's been, it's been a little rough. Yeah. It's been a little rough. It's just a lot, a lot, a lot of my mind because you're also still running. You're trying to run a city normally and then you've got that layer of the health and safety of everybody. And that's true. It's, uh, I'm not saying that like playing the victim or anything. I'm just, it, no. it is, it's just the reality of what it is. But Water pipes are still bursting and yeah. You know. Still got to cut the grass and pick up the garbage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. Rachel, what about, uh, in the busing? I'm intrigued by that. I, I, I have friends who have special needs children. I have friends who've decided to, drive their kids now because they're concerned yeah. about buses as a point of exposure. Yep. Uh, what are some of the scenarios people are dealing with and how that affects you? Um, a big one uh, is if parents choose to do remote learning um, that impacts kind of the bus in kind the, of the two routes, ways, yeah. right? The route timing. And then all of a sudden someone opts back in to take the bus and then it impacts, Oh, now my kid's on the bus for 20 minutes longer. Um, parents being worried about if their kids are sitting with other kids, how close are they, how many kids are on the bus. Um, You know, even our drivers, you know, are they safe? A lot of them are retired people who are in a higher risk category. 
Um, you know, we are fortunate here that uh, our driver retainer ship, I guess if that's the right way of saying it, retaining drivers is strong right now. Um, a lot of areas that's, it's not. Um, but definitely kids uh, with special needs, they, they can be more medically fragile than just regular kids going to school. And, you know, you talk to parents and they have that worry and it's trying to come alongside them and assure them that we've we're done, the best we've we done the best we can. I mean, for me, I kind of went above and beyond and made it that my buses were one per seat. I could do that. I, regular busing, we can't. I don't want people to listen and be like, oh, well, one per seat. But for me, it was like trying to keep the kids so they could feel safe in their seat. Yeah. Um, so, but definitely um, just reassuring parents. That's a huge one because they, there's so much unknown. If they could just have something that was known for them, that that sometimes makes the day better. Mm. So, yeah. but it's yeah. been, it's been, yeah, it's been, a busy September, a normal kind of startup, but different at the same time because of COVID. everything going on with COVID. So that's one of the things I, I found so fascinating and about this whole time is that I saw a quote, I, I don't remember who it was from, but it was like, we're not all in the same boat. We're, we're all in this ocean, but actually mm-hmm. we're all in sometimes very different experiences to one another. We're all totally impacted by this thing, but the way it impacts people can be hugely different, mm-hmm. which, which then makes it even weirder, right? Because for some people, it's hor- horrifically traumatic. And for other people, it's just kind of like no big deal. And mm. when you have places like work or church or different community where people come together across those groups and suddenly you're all thrown back in the mix and everyone's like, oh, how are you doing? And I'm doing fine. I'm like, and I'm doing not fine. Mm. It's a strange dynamic. Yes. Agreed. Meanwhile, everyone's trying to do the best they can. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I, my messaging from the city from the get go. And I, I, maybe I'm a broken record on it, but I've been saying to people, please give kindness, patience, and extend some grace to people. Like I've been saying that word grace, like for six months. Um, Mm because you just don't know where people are coming from. As you say, some people will say I'm fine. And some people will be like, Oh, I'm not. And let me tell you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's, um, it's, uh, yeah, we just got to remember to try to be, try to give people that grace and patience and kindness as much as we can to everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In person and online, if I could uh, <laughs> add that. Closing <laughs> the loop. Well yeah. done, sir. <laughs> I like it. Um, just came came across my mind while we were chatting. I read, a, a, I don't know, a year or so back, Cam, you'd written a, a letter to, I think, Barry City Council regarding safe injection sites. And yes. Specifically said that when the topic kind of came up in Guelph, you didn't think it was a good idea. You'd laid out your reasoning for that. But then you'd kind of gone on to say it actually accomplished our goals. And so I... I turned around. I'd, I'd really be interested to hear a little bit more on that and, and where you were coming from and what you saw with that. Yeah, I think I think I was just inundated uh, for many years looking at sort of the, the, the two sites, I guess, in Canada that were often looked at in regards to safe injection sites um, as uh, Toronto and Vancouver, right? And, and those two places had their negatives and their positives and it was always in the media 
and it was always a hot topic. And I think I just naturally, just because it was always in the media, you just read those stories only. And sometimes the, the negative outweighs the positive, again, just in stories or opinion pieces. And uh, so then I decided, and it was very um, deliberate on my end. And I've actually, I've done this a lot for lots of issues, actually, as the mayor, very deliberately, I will park my bias or park any ideology um, at the door, but I have to like really, like really be deliberate about it. Mm. And I will say, I have an open mind. I'm starting fresh. Talk to me, like, give me all the details, what are the positive, what are the negatives, give me everything so I can be fully informed. And I just had really great people, great stakeholders in the city from the, the, the community health center, from Arch, from like all these different areas, the family health teams, uh, all, all and, and so on. I, I'll forget some of them, but uh, all kind of giving me the stats, giving me the facts, giving me exactly what things and, ha- and how things would go. And there was that, um, there's that notion from a myth point of view that uh, overdose prevention site is just like people, they just walk up, they get free drugs and they get to go. And that is absolutely not true. And I think that's the key thing that made me change is that, yes, they have the ability to do drugs there. And that is awful. I don't like that. But that is where they are doing it. But they are doing it supervised with nursing, with a counselor, and they create trust, and they create a relationship. And maybe it's not the first time that those people are there. And maybe it's not the 10th time. Maybe it's the 90th time that they're there, that that individual speaks to the counselor and says, I need help. Today's the day I want help. And boom, they're able to get that help that they need. And there, since the overdose site has been open, there is those real stories of life change. These are real people. And uh, like I have said a lot is as the mayor, uh, as any mayor, you want to be looking after the infrastructure of the city, whether that be pipes in the ground or fixing the potholes or, or, you know, fixing the bridge or whatever. Um, How much more important is the infrastructure of people of the people in our city, the most vulnerable people that are in the shadows that are outcasts that have stigma attached to them that are struggling. They can go to these sites they can have a safe place to do it and they can be with people that care about them, create that trust and send them potentially on a journey of life change, bring it on. If that's a tool in the toolbox that we should be able to use, I'd rather have the ability to reach into that toolbox and be able to use it and not have it available. And instead they'll just be at the parks or they'll be in the bathrooms at McDonald's or they'll be, they'll be in the alleyways and you'll find discarded needles all over the place. And these people will be overdosing and dying. Uh, and, uh, and I just, I couldn't accept that anymore. So the facts really turned me. And now the reality of how they've been operating for over a year and a bit now has shown me that uh, it, it was the right decision and I stand by it. Mm, I love that. I love the way you, you talked about that infrastructure of the people and the family and it's, that's so good. So good. I'm done now. <laughs> no, that's, I love it. Thank you. Yeah. And I don't mind saying I changed my mind on it. I wish more leaders did that, to be honest with you. 
I, yeah. I don't know. It's okay to change your mind on things. When you get new information, yeah, I changed my mind. You know, it's fine. <laughs> Explain why. I think more people should be willing to, to be open about that kind of stuff. I agree. I, as, a, as a theologian and pastor, I feel a strong temptation to be like, no, this was always my position. I have always been this, this, I've always seen this, this way, <laughs> but it, um, it's actually exclusionary. When I, when I lean into the honesty that, no, I have changed my opinion. It actually connects with people because every human being is like, oh yeah, I changed my opinion one time on this one thing. Sure. And so suddenly actually there's dialogue and engagement rather than me just proving how I had it right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I guess, yeah, there's that leaning into that vulnerability can be scary. Yeah. I will say just on that topic that um, is absolutely appalling, the amount of deaths of overdoses across North America, especially since COVID has hit. Mm. And uh, I can get political for one minute. It would be, I wish that the upper levels of government who really are responsible for these types of healthcare issues I wish they had a COVID response to the overdose issues that have been plaguing mm. our cities for years. Cause we've had more overdose deaths than COVID deaths in the city of Guelph. Really? Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's um, it's been uh, a very rough thing for me to try to deal with when municipalities really aren't the ones that, control a lot of that as i said it's healthcare and that's provincial and, and federal doesn't mean it's ignored by us but you know the last six months both levels of government above us have moved at lightning speed to help everything um if they could just do that same thing for uh for people that are struggling uh that would probably be helpful to many mm-hmm. and save a lot of lives yeah seriously it's something as a in the church we've been trying to figure out as well. What does our response look like to, I mean, if we take a moment, what are the core areas of crisis in our nation? You know, we have major environmental concerns, though the scope of that is often mind-numbing to understand our individual or communal role. You know, the opioid crisis housing issues it's like how as a church do we respond to those i can answer that please so one of the things and i do want to give credit to the federal you know i always give credit where credit's due i will also critique when i need to critique uh but um one of the things i was talking to an mp from the federal government a couple months ago and he was bang on he said one of the things that the churches can do or communities of faith as he said it is they own a ton of property with a ton of huge space of parking usually and housing affordable or supportive housing if they you know if cities started to allow for quick zoning changes and things like that um, on these institutional religious lands or whatever faith-based lands uh, can be changed to accommodate for housing That'd be a game changer because one of the issues is land to build housing, but the Mm. faith community, they have tons of it. Which is mostly empty and unused even before COVID. Let's just get that on the record. 
Yep. Correct. And, and so I think there's a huge opportunity for the faith community to step up and say, you know what, we're going to, we're going to let housing become um, our response to helping the most vulnerable in our city. Hmm. And we're going to give our land. Yes, I'm intrigued by that. I it reminds me that in the in Kitchener, there's that uh, that complex lot 42 where they run a bunch of events and stuff. I've heard that they've set up some kind of tiny house village as a homeless response there. Yes, yes. And I don't know a lot about it, but I remember reading something about it. And I mean, that's just industry. Yes, you're right. Yeah, I think it's uh, it, it's on it's on private land, but they built like little sheds basically to allow them to be there. Um, again, credit to where credit is due. Now the governments are looking at giving money to um, people to be able, uh, stakeholders to be able to buy like uh, unused motels now or hotels and turn them into supportive housing mm. for the most vulnerable where they've been housed for the last six months anyways. So some of the owners of these hotels and motels, they don't even want to get back into it anymore. So now the government is allowing for some money to start to house these people. If we have a housing first initiative in mind and our priority is housing first, that's where a lot of life change and health change uh, can start to uh, help help these individuals. So they're they're trying their best, but I know that the faith community has a lot of land. Mm, Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that's very practical. Excellent. Uh, for us to consider. Would you guys pray for us? I'm I'm just thinking, you know, we've touched on, you know, the opioid crisis, the the overdoses, and also just like COVID. I mean, worldwide, we've hit a million cases. Hmm. Um, I don't don't know anymore whether I should be watching the daily Ontario numbers, because sometimes I'm kind of like, I need someone to give me the, the new restrictions. But other than that, I don't mm-hmm. want to know. But I also <laughs> do want to know. And I, and I have the luxury in my role of allowing a measure of head and sand that obviously you, mm-hmm. you don't have. But I wonder if, if you two would, would uh, pray for us for any of those kinds of things. Absolutely. Do yeah. you want to pray for us? Do you want, me, do you want us to both do it? <laughs> yeah, we, can, we can both pray or if you want. Like, I'm, I'm easy going. All right. All right. Who's going first? I can go first. So okay, go what do you, I just want to ask, what do you want to pray for? No, what? I'm not telling you. You just got to pray. He's not telling me. Okay, that's okay. You have to listen that's to right. the spirit and discern. That's right. That's right. <laughs> God, we just thank you so much for tonight. We thank you for this chance to speak with Jonathan and uh, uh, for anyone who is listening, God, we just, uh, we just lift them up to you in, in this time of just unknown it's just an unknown, and that is a very, very scary place to be. And uh, as we've said tonight, you know, some of some of us are just okay with everything; others are barely holding on. And so, God, I just lift up those people who who are struggling to just make it day to day right now because they are crippled with fear of not knowing. And God, I just uh, I just pray for those people, and I just I. I can't even imagine uh, just waking up every day feeling that way, feeling paralyzed to not be able to get through the day. And God, I just pray for those in our city who who don't have a place to call home, who don't have uh, a job to go to, that you would just be with them, that they would sense your presence not only today or tonight, but God, that they would sense your presence every day. 
And I just, uh, I just thank you so much for what you are doing and for your guided hand through this. And God, you see this from a bird's eye view. We only see the here and now. So God, I pray that we would trust you moving forward um, as we navigate through a lot of unknown. God, just thank you so much for this chat and um, the ability to be uh, authentic with each other and, and, and uh, just to, just to not be afraid to, to talk about the struggles, the good, the bad, and, uh, and to know that through the good, the bad, and all those struggles that, that you are consistent, God, and, and that um, in, it's a good to be reminded of that uh, in these times of, of some uncertainty. And we just do lift up, uh, you know, so many, whether we think we have it together as individuals or families or whether they're businesses, um, whether you think they have it all together as an individual or whether it's the complete opposite of that guy and it's just absolutely just barely hanging on. We just need to feel that presence of you in, in our, in our lives and in our city. And, and we just, we just lift up the most vulnerable to you, God, right now that you would take care of them, their health, their minds, God, and, and that you would put the right, people in, in, you know, in their lives to show them grace and patience and love um, and to give everyone a real sense of belonging uh, in this city and, and, and outside of these, these city boundaries, God. And so thank you for this chat. Thank you for um, being with us tonight, even through this entire conversation. And as we ended off in, in your name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Rachel and Cam Guthrie. So next week, folks, it's possible I'm going to miss an episode. We'll see. I'm taking uh, a few days off to recoup after this uh, intensity of this book launch. I'm actually on a pastor's retreat with my pastors and a few other area pastors. So looking forward to having some time of fellowship and some rest. I am... I'm hoping that I'll get the episode up somehow next week anyway, but if you don't hear from me next week, that's why. Not to worry, just having a little bit of fellowship and rest. But otherwise, I'm so glad that you were listening today. Go back and listen to the archives. We're we're approaching next next episode will be episode 90, which is pretty exciting. Coming up on a hundred episodes of the podcast. I'm honored to have your listenership and your support. This has been a wild ride for me. I'm so glad to share it with you. So grace and peace to you. May you have hope.